You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton from The Big Data Beard, and I am joined by Monty Zwiebin, CEO of Splice Machine, and we are at the Spark and AI Summit in San Francisco, California. Monty, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm wonderful. Well, it's uh, an exciting conference, a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, I wanted to start by just giving you a chance to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little about you and Splice. Thank you. Well, um, I'm a longtime AI person, so I'm really proud of the fact that our science has emerged to the point where we have conferences like this. Yeah. Um, I uh, started my career doing AI research at NASA, ran a NASA lab here in California, and then started a few AI-based companies. The first one was a supply chain software company that uh, used artificial intelligence to plan and schedule manufacturing operations that was eventually sold to PeopleSoft. And um, after being an executive at PeopleSoft for a little while, I got the itch to do something entrepreneurial again and um, started another AI-based company that was maybe one of the first machine learning companies. It incorporated machine learning directly into an omni-channel customer journey uh, type of application. It started with e-commerce and all the way through to multi-touch point interactions with consumers. That company was called Blue Martini Software. And we eventually took that public and um, later, I became the chairman and CEO of a digital media company called Rocket Fuel. And the reason for this somewhat long-winded bio mm-hmm. is that in each of these AI initiatives, these these ventures, mm-hmm. we were fundamentally constrained by the data platform that was powering the underlying system. And so Splice Machine is our attempt to solve that problem. Very cool. So Splice Machine, startup based here in the Valley, not too far from here, right? That's correct. We're a San Francisco-based company here in the Soma district of San Francisco. And um, essentially, we set out to build what we call an operational AI platform. Um, It's a data platform that can power applications that use artificial intelligence, but not in a back room like many of the other analytics platforms you hear about even here at the conference. Mm -hmm. It's literally for injecting AI directly into the fabric of the enterprise in the everyday workflow. And in order to do operational AI, we think there are three computational workloads that need to be supported in a really seamless way, not a duct taped together way. Not that we'd have that today. Not that we ha- <laughs> we do that today. And, and essentially, that's what we're trying to solve. We're trying to solve this, this problem where anyone trying to deploy AI in any real application has to get a boatload of engineers mm-hmm. to fix the infrastructure first before they can even begin to think about the application layer. Right. And um, we think those three components are first... Definitely the machine learning that you hear about at a conference like the AI Summit here uh, is being instrumental to being able to do AI. And of course, uh, machine learning is nothing without really good data. So you need an analytical component to be able to take data and prepare it in a way that is providing signal for the machine learning. But the third component that's been missing here to date is the operational component. And this is the component that literally allows you to run an application, to be in the moment, to look out the windshield of the enterprise, not just the rear view mirror of the enterprise in terms of analytics, and make a decision of what to do next. Mm -hmm. And that kind of workload has in the old days been really the 
the venue where one would deploy old school relational database mm -hmm. management systems, typically ones that are on one computer. And then when the big data world came into play and people tried to build AI apps, mm -hmm. they realized that those wouldn't scale. And we see a lot of AI implementations trying to connect machine learning and analytics to operational NoSQL data stores. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of duct tape. It is. And so what we've done is taken this platform and put the SQL back into scale out. So the third component is literally a scale out relational SQL database. Okay. And so the three components, machine learning, analytics, and operational um, RDBMS mm -hmm. are what we bring to the table. Interesting. So that's an interesting concept because while for, for many years when Hadoop was kind of its an infancy, you know, you saw projects like Hive where they tried to bring SQL to a Correct. different underlying process. It sounds like you're taking a different approach. Right. So um, everybody started when Google broke out and introduced their MapReduce paper many years ago, where they figure out they figured out a way to use massively parallel computing, but not have to be a PhD in distributed computing to do that. But that was very hard. It was extremely difficult to think in terms of MapReduce and using this technology. And so everyone tried to get to SQL, including Splice Machine. But everyone other than Splice Machine emerged with SQL for analytics. And what we're very focused upon is not only doing that, but also doing SQL for operational applications, literally running an application. Perhaps a story is best to, yeah, to express to this. So, um, for example, one of our customers is, is, is an insurance company. Okay. And um, they literally are um, trying to take what used to be a, an application that was driven by an IBM relational database management system mm -hmm. and make it more agile in the cloud and build it at scale. So they're taking their application, which used to run on a regular database, mm -hmm. and migrating that to Splice Machine. Okay. And that's great because they'll be more agile, it'll be cloud-based, it'll be scalable. Mm -hmm. um, but the real power comes in to the following um, what I call data latency problem. They also have Spark-based machine learning models mm -hmm. to detect fraud okay. and other things like underwriting risk and, and, and other applications. But these models sit in the lab okay. away from the business applications. And in fact, they're not operationally deployed. And the reason why they're not operationally deployed is that by the time the data gets from the claim-based system mm -hmm. to the Spark-based machine learning models, the claims have changed many times. Yeah, it's a bunch of batch processing. A lot of ETL. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and there's latency. It, takes, it can take days. For yeah. sure. And unfortunately, then when you get it to the model and you make a prediction, that prediction is going to be wrong because it doesn't reflect the, the, the recent data. So with Spice Machine, this customer is going to run their app on Spice Machine and the Spark-based data models or machine learning models will run natively on that same data platform. Okay. So you avoid all of that latency. So you enable the operationalization 
of machine learning in production. Very and that cool. is kind of the reason for our existence. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because for the, for so many years we talked about, you know, in streaming it was like, you know, these lambda architectures. Where it's exactly. like, okay, take the data from some source system, send it somewhere, maybe have a scale out message bus system to get it there. That's right. But it was always adding something. What you're saying is is a fundamental shift and it's that why not run the applications in a modern way? That's right. Where the data is is in the application that is or it's in a form that would already be high speed and usable. Exactly. Interesting. And, you know, some people have called us like Lambda in a box. Instead of you having to construct the Lambda, mm -hmm. it literally gives you the benefits of what a Lambda architecture attempted to do. Right. But it's all in packaged in SQL. And another really important piece of that is that um, the, the Lambda architecture required so many specialists people who knew how to glue together these different distributed systems, sure. perhaps being Hadoop experts. Yeah. For Spice Machine, the traditional IT person who's conversant in SQL right. can use it. See, that's cool. And you can also then, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, it, does it provide things like acid transaction capability so that truly traditional like relational applications can live right there in the same platform? It is the only big data platform that literally provides acid compliance that hmm. is the secret sauce okay and you know essentially we bring you know the acid back into ai processing interesting and but then you give organizations the ability to then expose the data that has been operationally built transacted against there you got this you know traditional oltp kind of stuff hitting that but now you're saying that you can bring big data on top of that because you've That's already right. landed it somewhere. So help me understand. I saw that there was an announcement about something called the ML Manager. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what that is. So what we're trying to do is not only support the application developer who wants to build an AI-based application at scale, mm -hmm. but help the data engineer and data scientist too. So on Splice Machine, we ship our data platform with the same sorts of patterns that a data scientist and a data engineer would be very comfortable with. So for example, in our ML manager, we have notebooks. Mm -hmm. So a data scientist can build their data pipelines or a data engineer can build their data pipelines and experiment with different models, different parameters, different algorithms, and different features. Mm -hmm. um, and in that, we expose a native Spark data source. And um, I think this is this is a subtle but important point. Mm -hmm. Since Splice Machine is built on Spark, we expose our result sets as Spark data frames to the data scientist. Okay. And it doesn't need to be serialized through a protocol like JDBC or ODBC for those notebooks because they can access a native data frame. Right. And so it's much faster mm -hmm. and much more um, convenient for the data engineer and a data scientist to use the Spice Machine data store. And unlike traditional Spark users who use Spark in notebooks, they can take data frames that they've manipulated and transactionally store them and persist them in a database with one line of code. Really? So you can do a dot insert or a dot update or mm -hmm. a dot delete, and that will literally take a data frame and update tables transactionally. Okay. So that's the beginnings, that's the lower levels of the machine learning manager, mm -hmm. but then as you move up, you start to build application functionality that supports the data scientists in addition to the data platform. So um, here at the conference, um, we have um, adopted a 
and announced a new capability of using Splice Machine in the data science workflow management by incorporating a new open source library um, supported by the Spark community called MLflow. Mm -hmm. And MLflow is a capability that allows a data scientist to incorporate in their notebooks um, an API that they can use to um, essentially... uh, mark their experiments with metadata. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, and to kind of craft the story, if you're a data scientist, you spend all day long running experiments. By the end of the day, you have a spaghetti of code in your notebook, and you can't remember which model did what. Yeah, right? the it's reproducibility hard. is hard. It's really hard, and yeah. it's really hard to just even remember, mm-hmm. like what are the results? How accurate was that model that I did with uh, Random Forest versus the one that I used logistic regression on? Did I use the same features? What were my parameters? And so now, inside the notebook, you can simply specify what you did, and there's a graphical user interface that allows a data scientist to literally plot um, how did this model do against this model and mm-hmm. track that workflow. Wow. And so that's part of our, our system as well. And so um, the last layer is the layer that allows you to take those models and put them into production. And so we built a deployment mechanism too. So you could take a model that perhaps you've tracked in ML flow mm-hmm. and then push it out to production, perhaps even on AWS SageMaker where you can build an auto-scaled set of containers mm-hmm. and deploy that out um, at on the AWS cloud. Okay. So ML Manager is essentially taking the Splice Machine data platform and exposing data frames in notebooks with multiple machine learning libraries with ML flow for data science workflow model management and deployment via SageMaker. Interesting, because one of the things I'm always concerned about when I when I talk to platform you know, suppliers is while many use open source, oftentimes they end up in a path that blocks out open source innovation from being relevant. But what you just said about Splice Machine was the way you've architected it. All the great things we heard at the keynote this morning in terms of the innovations happening in the Spark ecosystem, the where you've got folks like Mate moving over and leading a lot of things on MLflow, Splash customers can take, take advantage of that. You're not exactly. blocked from that. And I'm looking forward because I know Matei is going to mention us tomorrow. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's <laughs> Very cool. Actually, I have. It's fun, kind of funny. I didn't actually know that much about Matei until I took a I took a course at um, at MIT, and there it was like where he's tackling the challenges of big data executive courses. And I was like, that dude's really smart. And then I started reading his bio, and then I started seeing him on this stuff. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm really <laughs> proud of those guys. Um, yeah, the guys from the Amp Lab. Um, um, have done a great job with the Spark community. Um, way back when we started our company, we built the first transactional capability on the big data stack, mm-hmm. and um, Spark started to emerge. And um, I had lunch with um, uh, one of the, the leaders, in fact, the head of the AMP Lab at the time. He's now the dean at the University of Chicago. His name is Mike Franklin. And um, I said to Mike, I said, Mike, um, is it possible for us to incorporate Spark into our engine so we get the benefits of Spark's in-memory computation for analytics along with what we've done transactionally on top of Apache HBase, which is our transactional underpinnings? Mm -hmm. And he said that might be possible. Fast forward the clock, Mike joined our advisory board. We got to know the AMP Lab guys, and and now we have uh, Splice Machines, you know, operational AI platform, but um, been 
very um, proud to be part of the Spark community. Very cool. So I'm curious to get your perspective. What's you know what's next for Splice Machine? As you you've started to solve problems for customers, you've been integrated. You've started to move up the stack in terms of providing capabilities to data scientists in a really unique way. What's next? Like where are you focusing the company's efforts over the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, the next twelve to eighteen months is all about traction and use cases and building. Um, specific applications mm-hmm. on top of this platform. Um, so, um, for example, um, one of the most important uh, points of inflection for the company, mm-hmm. um, not for the technology, but for the company, is in a recent round of financing, Accenture joined our um, a group of investors. Okay. And so one of the most important things for us is building uh, solutions that have clear business outcomes that we can deploy on a vertical by vertical basis Mm -hmm. with our partners at Accenture. They're organized vertically. And so we're spending quite a bit of time um, both ramping the company's delivery capability with Accenture's help and training Mm -hmm. Accenture on on these solutions. And most importantly, delivering more end-to-end solutions for the vertical. So for example, in um, financial services, literally being able to build um, fraud and underwriting risk types of applications on top of insurance business systems. Mm-hmm. In banking, being able to build next best customer action and anti-money laundering types of AI applications. In healthcare and precision medicine, uh, being able to um, build the next generation population data um, data platform so that you can do precision medicine and help um, practitioners decide what's the best drug to apply to a patient at a particular time and and perhaps even help in the clinical trial process. Mm-hmm. So um, these different verticals um, are emerging with use cases that are becoming more packaged applications. Yep. That's the future for Spice Machine as well. You know, I see that. It's so it's pervasive across everybody that's that's in this space of technology where we're trying to deliver outcomes. And it's I often find, you know, tech for tech's one thing, but you got to have use cases. It's exactly. incredibly important. It's hard, but part Partners like Accenture, I think, are incredibly valuable. So, so that's what's next for the company. I, I guess as a as a practitioner with a, a dude with a lot of experience in this industry, I'd love to pick your brain on what do you when you look around at the AI, the world of AI. Yes. What do you think is going to happen, or what's maybe the most interesting innovations that need to happen in the next twelve to twenty four months for us to continue to see this vision of AI come true? Yeah. So I think um, we're starting to crack the nut, but by far not cracked it to the point that it needs to be cracked in productionizing AI, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's still a lot of laboratory work. Most of the papers here are about uh, machine learning models that have been applied to a particular use case that have delivered um, a result, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily participate in the everyday workflow of the enterprise. Mm-hmm. So that is a very tactical but very important level of investment that has to happen across the board in our industry. And I, we've got our own slant on it, but everyone's got to focus on that. Yep. Um, second, um, I think there needs to be a focus on explainability and validation. Um, in all my years of deploying AI applications, um, the most important thing about getting it live was making sure the humans involved in the process that you're trying to automate or augment Mm -hmm. believe in it. 
Yeah. Right. And so um, the tools that are necessary to validate that the model does what it is expected to do mm -hmm. and to explain it, um, even as simple as visualizing models more effectively are, is going to be very important. You, you know, people hear a lot about deep learning. And deep learning is a fantastic technology. It's it's performing enormously productive tasks, especially in signal processing types of, of use cases of image understanding and language understanding. Um, but when you start trying to deploy, let's say, deep learning methods in medicine, and you have a model that's extremely predictive, but you can't explain to a doctor why it does what it does, yeah. it's hard for them to adopt it. Mm -hmm. So we need to get good at that. Absolutely. Right? And so that's another area. And and I, I would say that governance is critical. Okay. Um, for example, as you're monitoring a machine learning application, let's say an operational AI application, even deployed on Splice Machine, and you notice that your model is uh, making a certain set of, of predictions one week, and then the next week, it's behaving radically differently, mm -hmm. right? You didn't, you don't know why that's happening. You need to be able to provide that team the ability to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. When was the model deployed? When was it last retrained? Mm -hmm. um, what what were the um, feature transformations that went into that model? What what were the features used? What were the hyperparameters used? What was the SQL? that literally was used in that feature transformation, be able to answer those questions in minutes mm -hmm. so you can find out whether there was a mistake or, or whether there needs to be a fundamental change to the model. And that kind of closed loop governance, mm -hmm. it still doesn't exist yet. And I think that's another really important piece. And then I would say that um, Blue Sky, yeah, types of I like blue sky. Uh, re research. What was that blue martini? Was it blue sky martini? Or? That that was <laughs> was the old company, but the um the the unfortunate thing about our science, and this is really at the academic le level, is that we're only starting to to scratch the surface of transfer learning and being able to build AI that is. Um, more than just trained on one particular task, mm -hmm. right? And being able to use the kind of reasoning techniques that humans are very good at of being able to transfer one problem to another problem and use um, some mapping of a solution from one problem on the other problem, this is still early days. It's very early. Yeah. And I think that um, some of the hype about, um, you know, the threat of AI and general intelligence is a little bit hyped because this kind of intelligence was still a little bit a ways off. On yeah. And so that's a, that's an important scientific contribution that I, needs I to don't, happen. I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's an apt assessment. One thing that I, that I oftentimes am concerned about when I think about the futures is you talked about that ability to have governance of what happened, where, why. And that's where I see the flip side of it is, is how much do you think that we're going to start to see, um, ethical and legal like regulation of what this what these that what we're doing in the AI space like how much more do you think that's going to start happen if or if not we if if or we don't solve those problems around reproducibility well i, I definitely think that you'll see way more um legislation and statutes and compliance and ethical discussions about what we're doing um, I don't think they're going to be that different than the way um, we deal with compliance for um, expert 
humans that perform certain tasks, mm -hmm. right? Um, we have airline pilots that perform a very specialized task and they have to be trained in a particular way and they get certified and there are rules mm -hmm. about how they um, must behave and, and what they must maintain. Doctors the same way, um, even physical therapists retraining every year to become uh, compliant, right, with um, what's necessary. I think systems are going to have to go through that as well. It's an interesting approach. I They're like that analogy. They're going to have to get certified. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's going to be that different than um, the way we certify and monitor and govern human experts. Mm -hmm. I think that there'll just be a lot more of it for systems as well. Yeah, interesting. So if, if our listeners wanted to go out and learn more about Splice Machine, help me understand where's the best place to start in terms of their learning to get more information. Definitely. Well, um, our website is clearly the, the best place to start. Um, www.splicemachine.com mm -hmm. is a great place um, to, to go look. Um, additionally, uh, there are launch pads on that website where you can, um, if you're a practitioner and a data scientist, if you want to get yourself a Docker container and really try the system, you could do it with one click there. Um, if you're a business decision maker who wants to look at case studies of, of uh, uses mm -hmm. of Spice Machine, you can find that information there. Um, but that's the best place to start. Um, we're also um, an open source platform as well. So if you're simply really interested in looking at the underlying tech, all of our docs mm -hmm. are online too at um, docs.spicemachine.com. And um, so there's a, those are a few good sources of information. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, Monty, it's been excellent talking with you about Splice Machine and the unique approach to really operational AI in a way that it doesn't sound like any of the other platform players have achieved. We're on a mission and we're, we're going to stay focused on that mission. And I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk to you about that. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. All right, so let's start it out, Monty. The first question in Rapid Fire is, what's the last great book you read that you'd recommend to us? Oh, that's interesting. So um, I would say the last great book um, was uh, Homo Deus um, that I just recently read, which yeah. is the follow-on um, book to Sapiens. Oh, really? Um, oh, from, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, the Israeli uh, exactly. scientist. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Brilliant. Is that? I can't You're, remember his yeah, name either. I'll put the link in the show <laughs> notes, but the Sapiens was amazing. Yes, this next one is very good and very germane to what we were just talking about. If you got to tell the the producers that they could put on a song for you as you walked on stage, what would that walk-on song be? I don't know. I guess it would probably be something by like the Clash or the Talking Heads, I think, is that I would, I would end up going with. Or maybe something more modern like LCD Sound System. There you go. Um, as, 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 that, would uh, be, that, that, that puts set the mood real nice. That's, what I, that's, that's my vibe. That's awesome. I'm going to see if I can find some for you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there a piece of technology that is currently making your life worse? I would argue that um, we have so many different social media connection points, it is extraordinarily difficult to stay current on every touch point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you obviously have your, your email, you have your, you know, all of your, your feeds, whether that's LinkedIn and, and Twitter and, and then, you know, you've got your, um, 
your Slack channels within your own company. And um, it's, I think, just an explosive amount of media um, hitting you at all times. And I think it takes a great deal of discipline to disconnect transactionally from the messages coming in mm -hmm. and let yourself think yeah. about stuff. And I think that's, uh, it just gets increasingly more difficult to make the, the space to think and communicate directly with people like this mm -hmm. versus just electronically. I a thousand percent agree with you. I've gotten into the habit of having checking email three times a day. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I'm not a doctor. Like it's not if if I if somebody if I don't get back to him in three hours, right. nobody's dying. Like it's just not going to happen. It's hard, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> but it's made my life more productive. I agree with that. I 100%. think that's a great discipline. So uh, personally, what is your biggest money pit? Like where does all your disposable <laughs> income go? Oh, that's very funny. Well, I would I would argue that it goes to my kids' education. Oh, that's an expensive <laughs> one. <laughs> and then secondarily, it's probably. Uh, on vacations that we, I, I try to, um, if there's something I try to save up my money for and, and, um, and splurge is that an experience for me and my wife and my kids to go have together or just me and my wife yeah. and, uh, go some, see something special in the world and experience it live. Well, that's, that's awesome. I'm actually going to go out of order here from our normal order. Cause I liked that answer. Cause I also love travel. What's the next interesting place that you've got that you're planning to go? Yeah. Um, the next interesting place that we're planning to go is Greece, Greece, go to a few islands in Greece. And, okay. Are and they like the Mykonos, those kinds of islands? Or are you um, going I think like we're going to go a little bit. We're going to go a little bit, um, outside the kind of um, bustle of Mykonos. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, maybe Santorini, a couple of other places. I can't <laughs> recommend Corfu enough. Good to it know. It is amazing. <laughs> All right, now, final question. Uh, in your travels, probably spend a lot of time on airplanes. Do you have any uh, sh shows like Netflix shows or TV shows on cable that you're binging on? Or that oh, you love? yeah. Let's see. Let's think about this now. I've, I'm a I'm a TV guy. Okay. okay. Uh, so I, I do my share of TV, but um, God, some of my shows are in hiatus right now. Like, uh, um, well, I I you know on I I have to say that I love Shameless. Right. That's okay. one thing that I just I dig. And right. Bodyguard was really good. And uh, but those are the kinds of shows that yeah. that I, I kind of like. I dig it. What's man. your show? Uh, I'm kind of hooked into Game of Thrones right now. I I, I, <laughs> I I watched all of them leading up to. I read the books first, so I'm kind of one of those people that if there's, I go and read the books. The books were, and I say read. People give me grief. I I listened to them on audio on yeah. Audible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like 42 hours each book, and I there's five imagine. of them. So it was a huge investment. So then when the shows came out, I was like, all right. And frankly, the shows are really good. Like the shows are better than the books. I'll just say it. Yeah. So I've really I, I'm hmm. excited about that. Like there's um episode three comes out next Sunday night. I've got to be in Las Vegas for yeah. work on, on Sunday night. So I'm actually like, we're hey. planning to like have a, like a hangout with a bunch of our coworkers <laughs> in a room, get some pizza and watch well, it's game. It's clearly a way of life now to watch that. Yeah. You know, everyone's all gun up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other one my wife and I really are into is, um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel oh, on yeah. Amazon Prime. Yeah, I watched it too. Just a brilliant. I, it. <laughs> I just loved it. Just I love the quick dialogue, the humor. Very good dialogue. Yeah, it was yeah. just it was great. Well, Monty, it's been super fun to talk about Smash Machine. Likewise. Also, very good to get to know you personally. Uh, I look forward to. Uh, we'll hear your session. We'll put the notes uh, in the show notes. We'll have a, a link to your live stream. I love it. Well, thanks again for joining the Thank Big Data Beer, Monty. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Bye. The next Data Science Salon is taking place in New York City on June thirteenth. The topic for this salon is applying AI and machine learning to media and entertainment. If you haven't attended one of these before, you'll get to see a healthy mix of use cases, technical talks, and workshops 
and you'll walk away with actual insights from those working on the front lines of machine learning in the enterprise. Make sure you check out this exciting event, and remember, you can use promo code BDBeard19 to get 20% off your conference pass. We'll see you there. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast.